fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We are the group that does that. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. I'm very exciting. Very exciting. You are very excited. I am. You are incredibly excited. And I'm also excited. And I feel like Uh, I'm going to recall a lot during this recording. I hope so. That's very important. I hope you have total and complete recall. Um, we also have another member of our brain trust, our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you recording from this week? I'm here in the Trebinium Mines, uh, learning all about uh, all sorts of exciting ancient alien technologies. Well, you know this group loves ancient alien technologies. So, of course, if you haven't assessed it by now, we are talking about the Schwarzenegger movie Total Recall as we continue Schwarzenegger September. And I, so, guys, I got to admit something right off the bat to you. This is a little embarrassing. But after I watched this movie, this was the second movie I watched, I started to affect an Arnold accent. I was doing a lot of Schwarzenegger impressions, and, and it was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie to you. Did, did it happen to any of you guys? Did it happen to you, Denon? I, I can believe it, Dan. I, you know, I'm not very good at accents and impressions, so I may have been, and nobody would have noticed. <laughs> I can see Ben. I can see you doing that. I'll be back. No. <laughs> Unbelievable. Spot on. He's right here. He's right. Yeah. He's right next to you in the Tribidium Mines. So this is my favorite Schwarzenegger movie by far, I gotta tell you, because I really this is just such an inventive movie, and I really think this was his peak. You know, we're gonna talk we've done other movies, we're doing a couple more, and and I gotta tell you, I really think this was the top movie for me. Where do you guys think this ranks as far as Schwarzenegger movies all time? Then I'm going to you first. You know, it's definitely one of my top three, maybe one of my top two. I love Total Recall. You know, we, we, we're doing one other that's close for me, um, Last Action Hero. And I just love True Lies as a fun movie. But I think for what Schwarzenegger is doing and some of the creativity without being too over the top, Total Recall is right there. And I think, you know, when they made the remake, they clearly did not come even close, which made Total Recall, the original, even higher for me. Yeah, I totally agree. The other one kind of was was barely noticed. It kind of went flew under the radar. Uh, ben, what about you? Where does this fall in your rankings? Very curious. I, I think it might be, it's, it's up there for sure. It's probably top two. I think between it and Last Action Hero, which was a shocker to me, and we'll, I'm, we'll talk about it uh, next week, but... Uh, I had never seen Last Action Hero, so I had no expectations, and that was great. But Total Recall, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of the Philip K. Dick short stories, and I love this movie based on those. Wow, that is shocking. Both of you guys put Last Action Hero in the top three? Wow. <laughs> I, I never would have thought that. I, really, that's kind of a shocker for me. Uh, but So let's talk about this one. This is my favorite. It, so it takes place, part of it takes place on Mars. The exciting stuff takes place on Mars. So I, I, I really want to get into the physics of Mars because I think that that kind of educates where we're going to go with some of the cooler technology, in my opinion. So let's talk about the physics of Mars from like an environmental standpoint because one of the most obvious things that happens uh, and the scariest thing, you know, probably the scariest 
scariest parts of the movie, besides seeing a human face coming out of the stomach of another human being, is when they fly out onto the surface of Mars, outside of the protection of the biosphere, they start to asphyxiate and, and their eyes start to bug out and everything gets really big and it looks like they're about to explode. Is there, I feel like there's no physics, like basic basis in physics for that phenomenon. Am I right or am I not? Uh, you're right, Dan. Uh, that's not what happens when you go out into vacuum or near vacuum, which is what it's like on the surface of Mars. You're gonna, you are going to drown, or not drown. <laughs> you are. Wow, going- that's amazing! You're gonna drown. <laughs> well, actually, in a way, you do. But uh, basically, what happens is your, you are going. All of the the liquids in your body are going to boil. Um, so you actually feel the, your, the water on your tongue boiling. There's an interesting, there's a guy named Armstrong who was the first person who went into very low pressure and he reported that he could feel the water boiling off his tongue, but you don't bug out. You don't do that. There's not enough gases to puff you up like that and they can escape before they puff you up. I also think the other thing, Dan, that's interested to me when I watched it again uh, is you are basically having trouble breathing because there isn't oxygen. But they probably knew that and had training. And I would have thought they went flying out with their mouths closed. They were probably trying, they should have been trying to hold their breath. And there wouldn't really have been the need to gasp. Going to what Ben said, it's like when you're drowning. You don't breathe in the water. You hold your breath as long right. as you can until air shows up. <laughs> So that yeah. was that was a little tricky there too. Well, I mean, it's it's funny when you think about drowning in a, in an, an arid environment, but I guess in some ways they're very similar. It is, and and I also think it, it's like sitting in a whole bunch of CO two. The the weird thing is the atmosphere is like a hundred times less dense than ours, and I think that's what you know. As Ben was pointing out, the boiling of the the liquids in your body, you're at a low pressure. And we're not really used to thinking about low pressure. But I think people are familiar with the bends. It's kind of similar to what yes. happens when yeah. you do that. Yeah, it's 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 both. Because <laughs> the air in your, yeah, all the air in your liquids will boil out and all the water, all the liquid itself will evaporate through boiling. Wow, so the, the double boil, you're double boiled. It's a double Oof, boil. <laughs> that's no good. Uh, so when we think about, this is very important to kind of set the stage for what is probably the most impressive piece of technology in this movie and that's this major climate engineering the, you know the ancient aliens we talked about before luckily we've got a member of our panels an expert in ancient aliens and probably current aliens I imagine Denon I feel like you're probably up to date on current aliens but they they kind of from what I can see they melt the core which which is some kind of ice and that comes out and it creates an atmosphere almost instantaneously is this is there any sort of science behind this? Then I'm going to go to you first. Is there, is there, from the physics standpoint, is is Mars even able to hold on to that in atmosphere? Yeah, so there's a good and a bad here. So first of all, to go to your specific question, Dan, Mars will hold on to an atmosphere for at least a few million years. And we know it had a very dense atmosphere, you know, hundreds of million years in the past. It takes a while for it to lose it once it gets it. Um, and it loses it because its gravity is a little less than ours. It doesn't quite have the same magnetic field, so it's subject to solar radiation, but it won't lose it instantly. So the basic core of creating an atmosphere is not that problematic. There's some other interesting things with the technology I like. There's also a lot of things with the special effects I don't like. We can go into that more, Um, but maybe Ben should take a crack at the technology first. (laughs) 
Yeah. So the, the technology is basically what we think we will do hmm. when we try to make an atmosphere on Mars, if we ever do terraform Mars, which is basically you melt all the ice on Mars. Uh, the problem is all the ice on Mars is primarily water ice and CO2, which that that you can't breathe. <laughs> so so while you're melting it, you also have to convert it into oxygen. And the amount of energy it would take to do that is extreme. Uh, to make the entire atmosphere on Mars um, have have enough just pure oxygen be enough that we could breathe it. Uh, you would need something on. You would need on the order of five quadrillion nuclear reactors. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> operating yeah. to do it in a minute, which is what we saw in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously, yeah. in in our world, we're not going to do it in a minute. We're we're going to take hundreds of years to do. Or maybe not hundreds. Well, maybe hundreds. We'll take a long time, and we'll live in domes in the meanwhile. <laughs> right. Well, what I like about it, though, yeah, is you don't. So here's the thing I don't like. It looks like they convert the whole atmosphere to oxygen. Yeah. But all I really need to do is spray oxygen over Arnold and yes. the other people we want to save. And he's very close to the opening. He absolutely is. So we can take it into that account. And I, I assume that... So we know that at least Arnold is okay and also the the little town that they had stolen all or turned the air off of. They're okay too. So I took that kind of region as like a millionth of Mars, which means you need like a million nuclear reactors <laughs> to save them all in a few minutes. So could you have like a micro environment, like a micro atmosphere that just kind of covered where you're living? Uh, let's just say you could. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't think the pressure would work out quite the way we'd want it to, but you could try. But again, Dan, what you're, what I don't like, for instance, so here's the thing that goes wrong there's no reason for the glass walls to shatter like that so if i was doing this and what i needed to do was save arnold and the dying people i would say enough oxygen gets generated in the time we see in the movie arnold gets back inside the dome is preserved and then as ben said you know it's maybe another hundred years till the planet really is sustaining life but you are slowly generating that oxygen you need so it doesn't have the dramatic effect of the end of the movie um, but there is a, a scenario under which the basic saving of life works. And what I also like is, you know, the the reactors that do it are quite large and yeah. and could be, for instance, fusion reactors, which is something we don't we use fission reactors and fusion reactors generate that much more energy, which helps a little. So that's those are good things. I like that. The one other bad special effect things is I'm not sure why it's exploding out like really 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 hot gas because you're probably going to want to electrolysize the water into oxygen and hydrogen before you send it out and you probably don't want the hydrogen exploding so <laughs> there's a little bit of the mechanics between the melting of the ice and the sending out of the oxygen that you want a bit different than what the movie shows yeah although the majority of the ice is co2 so in reality you also need to be doing some sort of carbon you know, carbon reduction reaction where you're taking the carbon off and <laughs> turn it back into oxygen. Because if, if you if if we just made a CO2 atmosphere, which is what would happen when you melt the ice caps, you would definitely die. 
<laughs> right. What, what I like, there's kind of two things that I worry about here with the technology, because it looks like the piece of ice, the you know, the dry ice and the regular ice, you know, liquid, let's say solid solid H2O and then solid CO2. Yeah. When they're, they're combined in the core, it looks like they put, you know, fission rods or fusion rods. I don't even they have, they probably don't have fusion rods because yeah. you're, you're combining two elements, but they're sticking that into the glacier and then that's what that's what creates the the gas that that then in turn creates the atmosphere would you eventually run out of the would, would you burn through the whole center of the you know the core of the planet or is this do you think this is more like a reserve of a glacier that they're using well it, it, it the, the, i mean the the core of mars is not ice <laughs> like the movie Chris says it's it's like ours it's iron and other heavy elements okay um well, that answers so that really question <laughs> very quickly doesn't it <laughs> but well, I would just say, though, because it's in a mountain, it's very reasonable that there could be a, some sort of CO2 glacier inside the mountain. Okay. Yes. And I'm going to go one step farther than Ben and say this is actually a rare, isolated water glacier inside the mountain, solving uh-huh. Ben's CO2 problem, right? Yes. Most of the ice on the polar caps on the surface we know are CO2. Probably a lot of the ice inside is CO2. But you could imagine having relatively pure chunks of water ice in various places. Yes. And I think Arnold just, his character is smart, but is not really a scientist. He said core, but they are clearly not in the core because they shoot out the side of a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> so really, this is, I think, a water glacier that the aliens found. The aliens knew it was mostly water. It was an uh, obscure, um, you know, things separate. And to your point, Dan, it's not going to solve the whole problem. It's just going to give you an initial kick of oxygen. And you've got to do something like getting some plants growing really quickly um, to sustain the oxygen you're going to want long term. You know, that's great. I was wondering about that because I know the the atmosphere is mostly CO2 now. And it seems like a great way to take the CO2 out and create oxygen is to, you know, use photosynthetic plants or, or plankton. You know, plankton provides 50% of our world's oxygen, but... You need water for that. You need lots of oceans, which they don't really have. So there's a lot of tricky things here. I've, I'm putting on the on the website a great article about atmospheres and about Mars and specifically that I just found really fascinating. But let's move on because there's a couple of the great pieces of technology I want to get to here, not the least of which is in the metro. They have this gigantic like it's a scanner. It looks like an, it appears to be an x-ray machine, but it, po- it can't be an x-ray machine. Uh, this is a, kind of a cool technology. I, I imagine this is in our future at some point. So how did you guys see this working? Uh, then I'm going to go to you first on this. What, what, do you, what are the physics of doing something on this scale? Well, it's interesting because how I see this working is not at all how they portrayed in the movie, which is looking at your skeletons and the bones, right? I really think this is one of the great examples of an attempt to predict technology forward, um, which actually this movie is full of weird contradictions between what they got right and what they didn't. Um, And this, I think, is one of them. Um, We are moving towards millimeter scanners. We see that in airport security now because what you want to know is what's under somebody's clothing, not what's inside them, right? And this took what they knew at the time, x-ray scanners, at, say, airports that look at your luggage and applied it to people. And the size and scale that they would be using is probably putting very dangerous x-ray dosages into you. So that's my big concern there. So I think 
the general idea of the size and scale is right, but the details of the technology, they kind of got a little off on in their predictions. You know, I think it's funny you mentioned X-ray, you know, X-ray technology, because when, when people initially first want to see what's under people's clothes, you know, during puberty, you have those X-ray <laughs> specs that they would sell in the comic books. And what you really <laughs> want is this millimeter specs. That's what you want. Exactly. But that, they don't sell. They don't, they don't sell those in the comic books. But I think you're kind of onto something here, which is really interesting. Now, what about on a mass scale? So, Ben, if we take that concept, how do we turn this into something that people can just walk through where they can kind of find the things that they're looking for, i.e. guns? Yeah, I mean, we're not that far off from that kind of stuff today. We, we see this in the um, the airport scanners of today where you go in this little, you know, plastic tube and the little bar waves in front of you and they have a picture. The only reason that bar is waving is so they get kind of a 3D image so you can't be hiding something like on your side. I, it's totally reasonable you could make a chamber that you walk through probably even today with extra angles and detectors that would do exactly what this is except you wouldn't see skeletons you would just see dense metal objects on people's hips which is what they're really looking for. Uh, oh, that's and that's what I really like about what Ben said is that's why this is long because they've replaced what we did, which is you pause and stand and it rotates around you with something you go through to get all the angles that keeps the people moving. Because clearly, mm. if you were loading a metro and you had to do what we did at the airplane, we'd all be pissed and annoyed. <laughs> right. uh, this keeps yeah. the line moving in a right. nice way. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I love that idea. And, and there are examples of uh, prototypes of this in metro stations today where it's not like a big walkthrough chamber, but they try to do stuff like this even in our subways today. That's great. I wish they would put it in the airlines today because, I mean, that's the security yeah. in the airline. If you could yeah. just walk right through, that'd be great. Um, so th so it's, we kind of got this one figured out. It's actually prototyping now. I, I think this is actually very possible. One of the other things I wanted to quickly mention in this part of the movie is there's a girl who's a, she's a receptionist, and she's changing the color of her nails with just a touch of like a, you know, almost like one of those little pat, those little writing utensils you use on a tablet. She just touches the tip and it changes color. I think this is very possible possible obviously you would need some electrodes and some kind of mini computer but i feel like in through the course of miniaturization you'd be able to do this very simply i just thought this was really cool technology am i right that it's pretty possible dan this is so possible this is the area i love of material science we're working very hard on thin polymer films that do all of the electrical conducting and behavior that we expect of computer screens and other things. the One of the easiest things to do that would be to have a polymer that you basically paint on your nails and part of the drying and polymerization, you get the right electrical behavior that you can touch it with a pen. So I, I loved that technology as a great predictive thing. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I really thought it was really cool. It was my favorite. I, I have to say that scene also has one of my favorite contradictions in it. You've got this great prediction of pens that are styluses that work on basically computer screens, her nails, as she's sitting next to the oldest looking, funniest <laughs> computer terminal I've ever seen in my life, right? Yeah, so yeah. Here, here are these people being very creative about what tech could do, well, not even thinking that this would have any effect on a computer. Right. Yeah. yeah. That is really funny. Uh, unless they're, you know, unless they just keep them around as antiques for for people in the, in the waiting room. Well, actually, I would even say the nails aren't even advanced enough i i think even today we could do things where we could put these like little flexible oled screens 
like fake nails onto our real nails and then you could have like little tv screens going with like sparkles and animations like why stop it just a plain color no i think that that's great i think that that's exactly what would happen that is the next step and you could even design your own image and then project your own image onto your own nails uh i think that that's that's advanced nail polish we're going to throw out nail polish that's too analog i think you're exactly right ben so one of the things i want to get to before we finish is that really cool animatronic mask that quaid wears when he goes into the metro station to kind of hide his identity a couple of weird things about that especially that he gets it puts it on and immediately it starts to malfunction and just says two weeks two weeks when one of the key things is not only to hide his identity but to have a voice changer but one of the things that's really cool about this is i love that we're really getting advanced with robots uh, you know i think a voice changer is very simple you know I think this is really possible. Now, the difference here, of course, is a robot's head is usually filled with gears and buttons and knobs and chips, whereas this mask in the movie, what makes it special is it sort of form fits to to Arnold's head. And, and that's really the cool part here. So what did you guys think about this? This is where I have to admit I much prefer analog and old school. Like, why are you having to change what Mission Impossible does so well? right? The mask does not have to be robotic. Now, I agree with you, Dan. The voice changer, that's the cool piece, but that should just be a small technology that goes over your throat or does something so that your voice is a little different, much less likely to fail, much safer. If you're just trying to change your visual appearance, why not stick with analog? Sometimes analog is best. I agree. I'm also curious why it had a bomb put in it and why the, suddenly the voice worked when the bomb was going to explode. I don't know if I would be comfortable with something that would malfunction that quickly that was that explosive. I don't know how you guys feel about that. You know, it's you got to always be prepared. You know, you never know when your disguise is going to fail and you need a getaway bomb. <laughs> I guess that's true. If it was a true getaway bomb that you had more control over, I could understand that. Again, I don't know why it needs to be robotic. I would just carry a grenade in my pocket and if my disguise failed, throw the grenade out at people. That's just me, though. <laughs> right. I think that makes yeah. a lot of sense. There's some really cool in real life stuff on this. You know, uh, in China, they're creating these lifelike robotic news anchors which are which have incredibly expressive faces now this is the robotic way this isn't the analog way then and you were talking about but this is really cool and also this is very odd you got to go to the website and check this out there's a japanese dj named dj do with four four o's <laughs> do and he makes these realistic animatronic body parts you got to see these to really appreciate them one's a squ square with with a very lifelike eye they make them to order so you send in a picture of your eye and he will create one of these eyes for you. You can sync it up to your music and so it can blink on beat. You can put it to sleep. It can have like the big eyes if it gets really scared. These things are incredibly creepy and kind of terrifying. I'm not going to lie, guys. You've got you got to check these things out. This is <laughs> one of my favorite things um, that I found in real life. So let's really quickly... Before we, we go, it's called Total Recall. We got to talk about the recall element here because one of the things that's underlying this whole movie is how Hauser has gone undercover as Quaid by putting a whole personality over another personality in his brain, which then gets dredged up as he goes into a company called Recall that's designed to implant memories. I know that's a little tough to follow as I say that, but but the whole idea of implanting memories, putting them over who's who, who are you, what is your real personality, this is an underlying theme in this movie that I thought was really interesting. Uh, Denon, what did you think about this? 
I really liked it, and I think it raises a lot of interesting questions, but one of my favorite is the end of the movie. So, spoiler alert, I'm now using the word correctly. Right, yeah, yeah. Spoiler <laughs> yeah. <yet>. yeah. <laughs> you know, at the end, he wonders what if this is all a dream, and it is an interesting question because it starts out as if the whole thing is going to be a fake experience that... But what's interesting about these fake experiences is they claim once you come back, you won't be able to tell the memories from real memories. And so at many levels, if this was all fake and he wakes up back in the machine, the memories are supposed to be real. So that really did a lot of damage to his marriage without his wife knowing it. But if it was all real, he doesn't have to worry about it. But either way, he's mostly happy. So I don't. I got really confused at the end there. That was my problem. <laughs> Whoa, we broke Denon on that one. I didn't even think about that. That's really interesting. Uh, ben, what did you think? As kind of our resident brain expert, you're doing this stuff in, yeah. in your private, uh, you know, your private lab and also in your professional exactly. life. What did you think about this? Well, I think it's a it's a really interesting idea. I don't like the idea of giving yourself somebody else's memories. Because I think that that's just going to lead to like some sort of psychotic breakdown when you come out of the uh, mm-hmm. the the recall uh, machine. But I think the idea of making you think you had a vacation when you d- when you didn't is kind of a great idea, and it's kind of a way <laughs> to in the future to make things accessible that otherwise wouldn't be accessible for everyone. Like it's probably even hundreds of years from now, it probably won't be realistic for everybody to go to Mars. But it might be more realistic for everybody to have a dream that's so real that they thought they got to go on vacation to Mars. You know, I love that. I don't know if you guys remember Viewmasters, and there were these little plastic things you put over your face, and they had like these little, it was like a white disc, and it had pictures of all these places. These were, Of course I remember them. You remember those, Dennis? Okay. Oh, yeah. Because those were designed to kind of give you a vacation at home. That's how they were promoted. This is essentially the high-tech version of that is what you're saying, Ben. Absolutely. And and one, it's safer. You're not getting on a rocket where you could get blown yeah. up. Obviously, we have to work on the brain tech. Sure. But and also, our brains are so great at uh, kind of tricking themselves into thinking and you experience something that you never really experience. So I think there's a lot of things a company like this could do in the future to enable you know virtual vacations. Well, what I wonder about it though is why would you want to not be able to tell it as different from other memories. I feel like for me, I'd like to know which were my real memories and which were my like video game VR movie experiences, right? Like have separate pockets in my brain if that's a, you know, a thing. Um, that's just me personally. Like it's it cuz I feel like the memory would still be just as fun even if I knew it wasn't something I really did. That way I wouldn't get quite as confused as I might otherwise. Sure. Well, I want to tell you guys, I think we, we've talked about this in other episodes, and I talked about it in one of my episodes on Fascinating Nouns with Dr. Elizabeth Loftus about memory, and there's a, a doctor, Dr. Julia Shaw, who has kind of made a career out of showing how possible it is with very little technology. This movie is all about technology, but with very little technology, with just some suggestions, you can make people believe that they did things and had experiences they did not have. Here's a quote that she had. You try to you you try to get someone to confuse their imagination with their memory. That's it. You get them to repeatedly picture it happening. And then all of a sudden, four or five times down the line, 
it's a new memory that you now think happened to you. As we've talked about, every time you even have a memory, you remember something and recall it, you're adjusting it slightly. This is kind of taking that and, and weaponizing it. If that's possible without technology, once you know, once Ben is finished with his secret laboratory stuff, who knows what's possible with the with the addition and the help of technology to you know to change people's memories to whatever you want. It's kind of crazy. Uh, so we've now you know we've now arrived to our the errors, additions, and omissions section. There's the things we want to talk about, but we're not going to. Denon, is there anything you have on Total Recall? Oh, definitely. I, like I said, my favorite thing was a lot of the weird combinations of good and bad tech. We mentioned the really old computers, but when he's going into the machine, the the main scientist, she's holding what looks like a supermassive iPad or tablet. Mm-hmm. So they have both the oldest possible computers and the most recent tablets, which I found really cool. And always, I love it when technology glows green. So as soon as he hits the button to start the oxygen, there's a bright green light, and then all the pillars glow green, which is really kind of good because aliens, green means start. Often these buttons are red buttons Mm -hmm. for stop. This was a green start button. You just didn't get the green light till after you hit it. Right. What do you think about that locking mechanism on that ancient aliens uh, device? Well, (laughs) it it clearly was not locked. We we talked about this a little bit before. It's funny. It had a handprint on it. Interesting design feature. But it basically was a round button that you just pushed down into the thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I did love that. Uh, Ben, what did you have on, on Total Recall? You know, I really liked the hologram technology you see. I like the hologram decoy watch that they use to trick the the bad guys' guards once they get to the reactors. And I really also like the in-home holograph holographic uh, tennis teacher. Like, I could probably really use that to help work on my swing. <laughs> Definitely helpful. And it's that, that hologram wristwatch is interesting because you wonder how does it control and how does it know what you're doing? It's somehow connected to you. Uh, that is a great piece of technology. I had, I had a bunch for this movie. I'm going to go through them quickly and, and whittle them down for time. But I love that ESPN is still the most dominant news source in the galaxy. That's one of my favorite. And they also have this Max Hedrumy kind of striped background, which is super distracting. I was very strange about that. Newscasting is very odd in the future there. Um, Lori, who's his who's, um, wife, played by Sharon Stone, she's a horrible shot for a spy. She shoots him five times at point-blank range, and they all go right around him. Like, what's going on there? And she says, he's, uh, Schwarzenegger tells her, clever girl, and this is, um, I think, two years before, four years before Jurassic Park. Um, so that, And that's a famous line from Jurassic Park, obviously. I love the Johnny Cab. I love animatronic heads wherever they are. Uh, there's a wrestling poster. I don't know if you caught it, Denon. It's Eric Steele versus ROR. And there's also this whole red pill thing. They ask him to take a red pill, which is very Matrixy. y and, and I thought that was really exciting. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, they also have cars with gullwing doors. The DeLorean made that popular. That's one of my favorite cars. I love the DeLorean. So lots of really cool things in this movie. But if we miss something or there's anything else, any other technology you want us to talk about, we're easy to get a hold of. You can find the show on Twitter at FGGGBTPod, on Facebook at FGGGBT. But you can also get in touch with individual members of the Brain Trust. Denon, where can people find you? So they can find me, Instagram and Twitter. Just flip my name. It's at Denon Michael. And then on Facebook, you throw in a prof. It's at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? B S I E P S E R. 
And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram uh, at the Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. So this is this is great. We are we are three quarters, or actually three fifths of. The, wait, hold on. Are we four fifths? Hold on. Four fifths, Dan. Four fifths. <laughs> Do your math right. Okay, sorry. We are four fifths of the way done with Schwarzenegger September. Uh, I'm very excited to finish this off, but you got to be careful with this technology. The stuff we're talking about, messing with brains, visiting Mars, you know, living in a different atmosphere. You got to be careful with this technology you want to be a superhero not a supervillain until next time thank you for listening fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear based technologies is a glencoe production and is produced by me daniel j glenn the fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear based technologies introduction was produced by daniel j glenn and paul springers with music and sound design written and performed by paul springers now if you like this show you're going to want to subscribe well how do you do that The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com, where you will find links to everything you're looking for. All the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page. Links to our social media are right there. And if you go to the top of the page, you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode there you can find the show in its entirety you can find the links that we talked about the in real life examples that we brought to you including videos and of course we've got each episode has its own youtube video you can watch it there if you prefer and if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening